All right. Well, if you have your Bibles, why don't we go ahead and open them to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. All right. Before we begin, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to write down these three words, okay? This is the crux of everything I'm going to say. This is the cliff notes. This is, you can get these three, go eat early. This is it. These are the three words. You ready? You don't look ready. Get your crayon out, marker, whatever you need. Here it is. You ready? Keep moving forward. Three words. I have discovered that over the last 35 years that one of the hardest things for Christians to do is to wait on the Lord. Many struggle with that. I know I I do at times. I wish I could say that I've perfected that. But for the last 18 months or so, I've now discovered that there's something else that the the Christians struggle with today. And that is keeping the momentum moving forward in their Christian life. We often talk about the first step in our Christian faith. We often talk about taking that step out in faith, taking that first step. But we never really address the middle steps or the steps towards the end of the race. A race that we are all in, that we look to finish well, to finish strong. We need to keep moving forward. One of the very first times I ever had a chance to go camping, my parents would never take us camping. My dad, mom, and dad's idea of camping was called a holodome, okay? It was a holiday inn with an indoor pool. That was camping. Roughing it was a holiday inn without cable, all right? But the first time I ever got to go camping, it was in a place called the Mississippi Palisades on the Mississippi River here in Illinois, just south of Galena. And of course... It rained that entire weekend. But you know what? We were kids, and back then, we didn't care if it rained. We were going outside no matter what. We weren't going to sit in a tent. We decided to go hiking. But hiking in the Palisades is like this. It's up and down, up and down. We were playing Rambo, you know, because that movie had just come out back then. And it got so muddy that we slid down one side of the embankment and then we would have to just scratch and claw our way up the second one. And if you dared stop anywhere in that progression, you were just going to slide right back down into the ravine. And one of our friends, he just couldn't make it up there. We all got to the top. We were rooting him on. Come on, come on, come on. Finally, we did whatever any good friend would do. We left him there. (laughs) And we moved on. But I'll tell you, as a Christian, I often discover it is an uphill climb. And we have to keep the momentum going. We can't stop midway and not to expect to slide backwards. Pastor Chuck Smith often used to say, if you're not going forward, you're definitely going backwards. We need to keep moving forward. There's a lot of things that are working against us today in this world, isn't there? As Christians, we can identify them quickly. Sometimes it's the circumstances in which you face in life that you didn't anticipate, you didn't expect. Other times it can be sin in your life. 
The Bible tells us that sin can weight us down and keep us from moving forward in our lives. We need to repent of that sin. We need to ask God to forgive us and cleanse us of that sin so we can keep moving forward. Here's one that I find that is common to many Christians. Hey, things just haven't worked out the way I thought they would. You see, many people in America have come to Jesus Christ thinking that he was simply going to be, if I may say it this way, their cosmic butler and give them everything that they want. Let me tell you something. We did not get saved so God could provide everything that we want in our life. We got saved that we may glorify God with our life. With every aspect of it. You know, people can hold you back too. It seems like there's always someone that wants to remind you, hey, you're too on fire for the Lord. You're too radical. I mean, our neighbors to the north, they can go to a football game and wear a piece of cheese on their head, and that's perfectly acceptable. But if we're radical for Jesus Christ, we're crazy. Okay? But there will always be someone who's trying to pull you backwards. You know why? Because if they're a brother and a sister in the Lord, maybe they've stopped the momentum themselves and they don't want to be alone on that island. In uh, junior high, there was a park right across the street from our school. And the park was one total block. So you could literally, there were streets on all four sides and, you, and the gym teacher would have us run around the park, okay? But the park had hills in it. So me and my friends, we would run the first half of it and we all sit behind the hill because we were supposed to do two or three laps, all right? And we would yell at people, what are you running for, you know? And we were all sitting there and then, of course, when the fourth lap and the final lap would come, we'd come jogging out there and beat them all, you know? I find out a little bit my scholastic career. Those were my friends. But trials, as we've been talking about, can also impede your momentum it can slow you down especially when suffering comes into place whatever we are facing whatever we are experiencing whatever we are going through the key to working through it is not to stop but to keep moving forward in everything that we do we need to keep moving forward we cannot stop It's like when we go, if you've ever been to the ocean, I love the ocean, I love the beach, I absolutely love it. But do you ever notice that sometimes you wonder if God really wants you to get in there? First of all, he puts sharks in there, then it's jellyfish, and so forth. We were in Florida some years back, and we were with some friends, and uh, one of the friends that we were with is very apprehensive and going into the water, and she didn't want to do it, and so forth, but... She, she uh, heard her dad, you know, we're looking at it. She chickened out. Her dad went in and there was this school of fish and the fish were swimming around him and he thought it was the coolest thing in the world until he realized he was the only one out there because they were running away from something bigger, you know. But you ever notice that you try to walk out into the ocean and the waves push you back, right? And just when you think you're done with the wave pushing you backwards, all of a sudden the, the current from the wave receding back into the ocean pulls your legs out from underneath you. I love that. (laughs) 
but things are working against us. We need to keep moving forward. This is something the Lord has really laid on my heart this year for myself, and I'd like to share it with you today, if I may. More of a devotion with you today, if I may do this with you. I'd like you to go to Philippians, because I want to give you four points out of Philippians that the Lord gave me. Every time I go through a difficult time in my Christian life, I always resort back to the book of Philippians. It's finding joy in suffering, the entirety of the book. But there are four points that I have adopted and hidden in my heart that I may weather the storms of life and keep moving forward. Again, we're running away a race to win, and we cannot win if we stop. We cannot hide on the other side of the block. We have to keep moving forward. And I want to just give you four this morning to help you do that. And underneath those three words, keep moving forward, I want you to list these four verses, okay? Now, I know this is different than what we normally do, but I just wanted to encourage you again this morning, if I may. And of course, the first verse is found in Philippians 1.6. There's a bigger picture involved. Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is his return. The first thing to encourage you to keep you moving forward is to know that there's a bigger picture in mind here. There's a bigger picture in mind. That God is at work in your life. And the work that He has begun, He will be faithful to finish, okay? That whole verse contains what? Momentum. You're moving from one place to the other. He found you. He saved you. He's sanctifying you. And He will one day glorify you as He promises to do in Romans 8.30. God is working in you. And when you are running that race, know that there's a bigger picture in mind. There's a plan unfolding in your life. God is working in you. He's going to bring you through. He's going to bring success to you in the sense of finishing the race. There was a beautiful, beautiful uh, Facebook video this week. Hey, Facebook went down for six hours. It's the best six hours of my life, you know. But let's be honest, sometimes we need to be encouraged. There was this beautiful video of these two marathon runners, and I believe they were someplace in Europe, and this one runner was so completely exhausted that he collapsed just, you know, yards from the finish line, just yards from it. And he was trying everything he could to muster enough strength and energy, but his legs were giving out from underneath him. He couldn't catch his breath. He was literally laying there. And it seemed that he was laying there in agony and in pain. And another runner came up behind him who was still at strong stride and stopped and picked this man up and carried him across the finish line. As Christians, we need to come alongside one another and do just the same. But the Lord is carrying us all the time. Please know that. He's not asking you to run this race 
in in your own personal strength and ability. He has given us the Spirit to do so. We need to submit to the Spirit and allow Him to do so. Okay? We need perseverance. We need to be determined. We need to get up when we fall down and keep moving forward. I love what the Hebrew writer writes. This is another verse that I thought of when I first read this first point. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, this led to Paul's mindset. This race. Later on in Philippians, if you look a few verses farther down, you'll find this. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul didn't know that in prison at this moment if he would live or die. But his choice was that if God gives me the ability to live, if He gives me the grace and sets me free, I am purposed in my mind, in my heart, that I'm going to live full on for the glory of Jesus Christ. Of course, he realizes that if he were to die, he would be in heaven with the Lord and it would be gained to him. But he strived to live for Jesus Christ. He also wrote this in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me that the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we are going to finish the race, if we are going to keep moving forward, number one, we need to understand that there's a bigger plan and picture here that God is working in us to work through us, and the work that he started is the work that he will finish. The next point comes to Philippians 3 12 to 14, and that is there is a goal. Number two, there is a goal to keep us moving forward. Notice what Paul writes here. Not that I have already obtained, he says, or I am already perfected, but I press on. There it is. I press on. I keep moving forward. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as have apprehended, But one thing I do, I love this, highlight this, notice this, but one thing I do is forget those things which are behind me, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I heard a great statement this week. Why stumble over something that's already behind you? Why stumble over something that's already behind you? You know what? When you get in your car and you drove here this morning, and I take it that most of you drove, I don't see any bicycles or mopeds or scooters. There's a Segway. No, I'm just kidding. But you drove here this morning. Let me ask you a question. How successful would you have been 
if you chose to only concentrate on the rear view mirror and the side mirror looking behind you as you move forward. That's called driving by faith. But it doesn't work. You can't keep looking over your shoulders. What are those things behind us? Oh, what about our failures? Often when we fail, and we're going to fail in our Christian walk, we have a tendency just to laser in on those failures, and we just sit on the side, and we just say, that's it, I'm out, you know, uh, I got tagged, it's it, I'm done, I'm out of the game. We have to get past our failures. You know why? Because Christ set us past our failures. We're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to do the opposite of what we choose and want to do because, hey, the flesh is willing. I'm sorry, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, right? It's just a reality. It's a truth. But Paul said whatever it was that you know, was in the past, and Paul's referring to his past life. He's referring to the fact that at one time he persecuted Christians. He's talking about the fact that he was a Pharisee and he came against the church of Jesus Christ. And he could have stopped and said, you know what, I just can't move forward. I've just done too many horrible things. But no, he says, you know, Christ has forgiven me and I need to keep moving forward. Why? Because there's a goal. And he wanted to lay hold of that that Christ had for him. And there's two things that I look forward to, and I hope you do too. Number one, hearing these words in Matthew 25, 23 from our Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. For his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. I want to hear Jesus say that to me. Not for my boasting, not because I want to be uh, arrogant and prideful in receiving it, because I, what I want is I want to hear him say those words to me, because then I know that I have spent my life for his glory, for his purposes, for his plan. James said it this way, the second thing that we strive for is the crown of life. In James 1.12, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown in which Christ gives us is not something that we will adorn for all eternity. When you come to Revelation chapter 4, you realize that the last act of worship on behalf of a believer is to take the crown in which Christ has given you and throw it at his feet. And that's what I want to do. Saying, Lord, the only reason that I stand here before your presence, the only reason that I have anything to show for the life in which I've lived is because you have done it in and through me. Lord, I love you. I worship you with everything. And I throw the crown at his feet and say to all the glory be to my Jesus. Paul said it this way. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he says this, Do not you know? that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. 
Now they do not obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. There's no way that we can run that race if we cease our movement, if we cease our momentum, stop and don't continue to keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Number three is found in Philippians six and four, six and seven. That during this race, there's a peace that God will give us that surpasses all understanding. There's a peace that God will give us that surpasses all understanding. And Paul begins in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. He says, be anxious for nothing. Often when worry and fear enter into our hearts and mind, it is at that moment that we become vulnerable, that our momentum slows, that we begin to think about just tapping out and saying enough's enough. Time out, go to the sideline. Worry and fear are two of the largest weapons in the arsenal of Satan. Each are countered by faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and with supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, And notice this, verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Prayer for the Christian is not an option. It's a necessity. In praying and seeking the Lord and how I I may best serve you in the time in which we currently live, God says, bring them to me. I love Dad. He makes my job so easy, right? The best thing I can always do for you as your pastor is point you back to Jesus every single time. The wonderful counselor, the great I am, the one who is capable of giving us this peace that we can't even understand. And so in everything by prayer, he says, Bring your supplications, that is your prayers of your own personal needs, and accompany this with thanksgiving. All right, stop, time out. we got to talk about this. We need to remember that as Christians, we are the most blessed people on this earth, right? We have been blessed with every blessing that is in heavenly places in and through Jesus Christ. But one of the things that I have seen causing great uh, retention in, in the movement forward, holding people back, is instead of being grateful for what God has blessed them with, instead of being thankful for all that God has blessed them with, they are stuck and fixated on those items that they don't have that they think are going to produce and create greater happiness and joy in their life, not realizing or able to trust God enough that He will bring those things, if need be, when it is His time, because He will always provide everything that we need but doesn't promise that he'll provide everything that we want. If you're growing frustrated in your heart, if you find bitterness creeping up in your heart, if you find that you're starting to become critical towards others, may I suggest 
you take a step back and start being thankful for what God has blessed you with and watch how that'll transform your heart from the inside out. Just being thankful for what you do have. You know, we are so blessed in America to have everything that we would want that we often feel that those things that we don't want are inhibiting us from the happiness that we are pursuing. When in actuality, the happiness, the joy that we are truly looking for is found and discovered in all that Christ has blessed us with. I like what Denzel Washington, I heard his uh, testimony the other day. He is really on fire for the Lord right now. don't know... Some things are really happening in his life. But he says about his faith, he said this to a group of college students, he says, my faith helps me understand that circumstances don't dictate my happiness or my inner peace. He came to that realization that after becoming a Christian, it's not what I have, it's not the circumstances that lead to my happiness, it's not those things that I want to accumulate or think I need to have that will lead to my peace, it's only through his faith in Jesus Christ. The psalmist wrote this, I love it, Psalm 35, 9 and 10, he, he wrote, My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. Earlier on in the Psalms, the psalmist wrote this in Psalm 16.8. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Notice what Paul later says after this in Colossians 3.15 when he writes, And let the peace of God rule your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Why? Because notice what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, that we can cast, casting all our cares upon him, for he cares for you. The reason we get overwhelmed by our circumstances is that we often size up our circumstances in the light of our own personal ability. If we feel that we personally, in and of ourselves, can overcome our circumstance, well, we're not so worried. But when we find a circumstance before us, whatever it may be, that we know that we are personally incapable of overcoming in and of ourselves, it is then that we retreat to worry and to fear and to anxiety. So let me say this to you this morning. If you are a math student here, you realize that an entire equation can change by introducing another value. And let me ask you that always in your life, whatever you are faced with, that you never leave God out of that equation. He is the X factor that changes everything. Okay? He's the X factor that changes everything that you are faced with. It is interesting. I like to tell you just a quick little story about a gentleman named Colin that my wife met a few weeks ago at a prayer conference. 
Colin was a teacher, okay? And he was being forced to receive a vaccine that he didn't believe that he needed. He was also, as a health teacher in the public educational system, being forced and required to teach a curriculum that was absolutely horrendous. And he wouldn't do it. Knowing that both of these things were going to cause him to lose his job, he he decided to seek the Lord, lean into the Lord, press into the Lord, and see what the Lord would have him to do. Well, he did end up being escorted out of the school. Later, he was then released by the school district. He was fired. He was let go. His wife and him uh, had a small child and I believe a baby on the way, he said. They were in a predicament. As one theologian would call it, a pickle, okay? Lord, we don't know what we're going to do. But we know, Lord, that even if it wasn't for the vaccine, I could never teach this curriculum, this sexually explicit curriculum to young children. I can't do it because of my convictions in you. So they began to pray. They began to seek the Lord. And last night we got word that he got hired at a company and he can work for home. The vaccine mandate isn't a necessity. Oh, and by the way, the company that he is now working for, and I believe his salary is more at this new company, is a company that publishes material for schools on the uh, blessing of abstinence. Yay, God, huh? It's incredible. And him and, his, him and his wife were, as they stated, over the moon at what God can do. We are now forced to have to stand up for our convictions. If we don't stand up now in the current climate in which we find ourselves and say enough's enough. This isn't about a vaccine anymore. This is about the overreaching of a political uh, system. The authoritarianism that is taking place in our nation. It's time now just to gently stand up and say enough's enough. I do not condone militias. I do not condone violence. But we have to just say enough's enough. And saying that may simply mean, okay, I lose my job, but you know what? My God is on the throne. He's going to take care of me. He's going to provide everything that I need. Oh, you know what? Now we really have to be Christians. Living by faith is not an option. I love what Martin Luther King said about faith. He says faith is taking that first step on a staircase that you can't see before you. I love that. And so Paul wrote this in Ephesians 3, 20-21. He said this, Now to him, notice these words, who is able to do just enough, right? No, to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And who can say anything to that, right? And by doing so, by leaning into God in this way, a peace guards our hearts and minds. That word guard means place a fortress around them. It means that nothing is going to get through. 
It means I am going to fight the battle before you. You just live to my glory. You live for me. You submit your will to me. You pray each and every way, every single waking day of your life. Not my will be done, but your will be done in and through me. And let's see what God will do. One commentator wrote, he says, As Paul's example suggests, such peace entails not an absence of this world's suffering, but rather a unity and hope in Christ. He's not saying that he'll remove all the trouble from your life. What he's saying is that I'll give you the peace to go through the trouble in this life. That's what he's promising you. One of my favorite commentators, Dr. William MacDonald, wrote this in his commentary. This peace surpasses all understanding. People of the world cannot understand it at all. And even if Christians uh, possessing it find a wonderful element of the mystery about it, meaning that they just don't know, they are surprised at their own lack of anxiety in the face of tragedy and adversity in the circumstances around them. This peace garrisons the heart and the thought life of the individual. What a needed tonic it is It is then in this day of neurosis, nervous breakdowns and tranquilizers and mental distress that we need this peace more than anything. Do you know in the time of C.H. Spurgeon, things were chaotic in England. Many Christians were wearied by anxiety and he said this to his congregation. And I want you to really hear these words. I believe they'll be up behind me. Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but it only empties today of its strengths. Notice that. My worry, my anxiety is not going to do one iota to change the things that are going to happen tomorrow. All it does is diminish the strengths that I have today. That's what Spurgeon was saying. And lastly, I want you to know this. Number four, there is a God and He is with you. You'll find this in Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me he lived by an example to them paul did these he says do and notice what he says here and the god of peace not the peace of god but now the god of peace will be with you i often wondered i can't prove this but let me make this suggestion to you if i may that the jewish people had this understanding of keeping their eyes on the lord the psalmist wrote about this The Old Testament prophets saw this and reiterated it to the people, turning the attention, turning the eyes back to the Lord. Of course, we have that beautiful illustration of Peter taking the step out of the boat. And as he walked towards the Lord who called him to him, he was successful in doing so as long as he kept his eyes fixed on the Lord. But the moment he did, you know the story, he got him onto the waves, onto the troubles around him, and he began to sink. And the grace of God pulled him up. 
I wonder if this is Paul explaining to Gentile people like you and I who didn't grow up with that Jewish history and tradition and the knowledge of what it means to put your eyes on God. I wonder if this is the way he's explaining it to us. This is what it looks like to keep your eyes on God, to think about these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now we know that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He's not saying this for God's benefit. He's saying it for our benefit. That we may know that God is with us. And we have never been alone. And I said this last week. Before the foundations of the world, God knew you. God knew you when you were conceived in your mother's womb. God knew you. And no, I do not believe that men can have children. Can we put that to a rest? Okay, we want to be told that today. Trust me, if further populating this world relied on men, it would be over, okay? It would be over. No way would a man go through that. He would say, time out, hold on, you know? It's funny because I often, people ask us, you know, Dina had a wonderful pregnancy, but she had a very difficult delivery And she's often called me on it because when I explain it, it sounds like I went through it, watching her go through it. She's like, remember, I lived it, honey. I'm the one that went through that pain. But we were never alone. And then, of course, from the mother's womb, he knew not only all about you, but he knew what he had in store for you, Jeremiah tells us. He knows the plans and the purposes that that he has for you while you're in your mother's womb. And then the Then it began, the moment you were born, God knew who you were and He was with you every step of the way. In John 14, 16 through 18, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you for how long? Forever, no matter what. That's what He's saying here. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a down payment, a guarantee that one day Jesus Christ is going to come back for us, okay? It's a certainty. You can take it to the bank, and honestly, I think we're probably closer than we anticipate. So how much more now than ever do we have to continue moving forward? As the Hebrew writer told us, he said, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, notice that, the Lord is my helper Number one. Number two, I will not fear. Number three, what can man do to me? Do we need to hear that today or not? Let's not be afraid of what the world may impose upon us. Let's be afraid of the God who that they one day will have to stand before and give an account to for why they did what they did. So just quickly in recapping. Number one. Keep moving forward because there's a bigger picture at play. Number one. Number two, keep moving forward because there's a goal that we look to obtain. 
Number three, keep moving forward because the peace of God will guard your heart as you move and continue to do so. And number four, excuse me, three, number four, there is a God who is standing with you and he was walking with you each and every step of the way. I want to quote an American cinematic icon, if I may. These words. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. The great theologian Rocky Balboa. (laughs) Only here will you hear quotes from Denzel Washington, C.H. Spurgeon, Martin Luther King, and Rocky Balboa. Top that, folks. I'm kidding. Greg Laurie, one of my favorite pastors, wrote, he said, we have to keep moving forward spiritually because the minute you stop moving forward you will be the minute you start moving backwards and you'll begin to backslide. Even our Lord and Savior in Luke 9.62 said the same thing to us. He said, but Jesus said to them that no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And at the end of Paul's life, he ended his life with these words. Words that I hope to say. I would hope that you hope to say. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Keep moving forward.